theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Joy. Good morning, Dr. Amy. Always happy to see you. How are you feeling this morning? Well, we'll get to that maybe on a different day. <laughs> <laughs> Your voice is a little deep. It's a great audio voice, I think. I'm excited about today's topic. I get giddy about anything related to assessment. And today we're going to talk about homework. So that makes me giddy. No one loves homework, but I like the topic of homework because every student is impacted by homework. Every parent is impacted by homework. I taught measurement and evaluation for 17 years. One of my favorite assignments that I would give was a homework philosophy. That's how strongly I feel about homework that I had the candidates write a philosophy. So my rubric, of course, here's the rubric, my rubric for the assignment covered the importance of understanding the purpose of homework, why teachers are giving homework, the types of homework, how students learn, the value of family and personal time. They also had to establish a partnership with the parent. And time was important. I used to show them how to use the 10-minute rule as well as give expectations. But most importantly, I think for me, homework is for the teacher. And that's where I think many teacher candidates and teachers don't get it. What the homework does, it shows me as the teacher if the students get it. Right. And then I can adjust my assignments accordingly. I can adjust my lesson and what I review according to the feedback that I receive. So if I think that homework is for me as the teacher, then I'm having to rethink this whole thing about homework, right? Let me ask you about this line on your rubric about family. What mm -hmm. kind of considerations did they have to make whenever they're thinking about that homework philosophy in regards to family? So you have to think about the types of homework. How can you engage family in the homework assignment? And of course, that's different depending on the age of the student. So some of it may be engagement. Some of it may be family signing off on assignments and also just respecting that time. I can remember when I started teaching and I had to learn this the hard way. So I had a non-English speaking class, mainly from Mexico and Guatemala. And my students were going to church on Wednesdays. So I came in, you know, homework Monday through Friday, X amount of minutes. And I wasn't getting homework on Thursday morning and penalizing the students. And I had to realize that myself, their value was in their faith. It was not in homework. So instead of penalizing them, I just eliminated Wednesday as a homework set. 
just showing that I value them as people and their family time. I am looking forward to having more insights into this philosophy of homework. So we're going to talk to Dr. Harris Cooper. He has written a lot about homework and will bring some ideas to this topic. He received his PhD in social psychology from the University of Connecticut in 1975. And from 1977 to 2003, he was on the faculty at the University of Missouri. In 2003, he moved to Duke University, where he is now Distinguished Professor in the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience. Dr. Cooper has been a visiting scholar at Stanford University, the University of Oregon, and the Russell Sage Foundation in New York City. So welcome to our podcast, Dr. Cooper. Well, thank you for inviting me. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I'm hanging in there. As we are too, (laughs) hanging in there. But I'm so excited to see you. I've read many of the things that you've written. I'm a fan. I just want to say that I'm a fan because I taught measurement and assessment for 17 years. And homework is one of those topics that I love to teach and talk about because we're all impacted by homework and no one ever talks about it like in a positive way. (laughs) So I am so happy to have this conversation with you today. The other thing about it is I suppose we would consider to be the lack of attention that it gets in teacher training. Yes, I was just telling Dr. Amy that I have teacher candidates write a homework philosophy, Uh you know, and in that philosophy, and I had a rubric and they had to write the purpose, the why, the how, the amount of time, how they include the family, Uh how they value the student and their family time. So I included all of them because I thought it was really, really important because I learned about the balance of homework kind of the hard way when I started teaching, giving students who were going to church service on Wednesday, giving them homework on Wednesday, like what's the point of that? That surely shows a disrespect of values, right? Making modifications. But one thing I really stress is that homework is not for the student. I would always say homework is for a family connection and it's for me, the teacher. So that I understand what you know and what you don't know so that I can adjust my teaching. So homework is for me. It's just one formative assessment that's going to help me help you. All three of those things, you don't have to say it's for this or for that. It's for all three of those things. The purpose of homework in the broad, like you just suggested, is first to help kids learn. It can be used in different ways to do that. It's also the primary mechanism of communication with parents. And then it's also potentially, if used properly, a diagnostic activity that helps the teacher understand what the kids in their classes know. Any of those three things can be a purpose of homework. In fact, every homework assignment has all three of those purposes to it. Well, with these different purposes, for the homework assignments, 
And it seems like there should be different kinds of homework assignments throughout a unit, right? Sure. So what should teachers think about when they plan homework assignments for individual day lessons, but also for unit sequences? As much as I hate to say it, because it's, it's the bane of all social scientists, but the answer is it depends. And it depends on uh, what the lesson is and what the purpose is. So homework can be for practice, and there are some things that really need practice. There are some things like playing a musical instrument or singing that involve practice, but so does math, especially uh, vocabulary, especially uh, language studies. These are things that you only get better at if you practice them. One very important part of homework can be for practice. It's only one. Another is potentially preparation. Know about advanced organizers. If you're teaching multiplication and you've done two-digit multiplication or addition, two-digit addition, in a homework assignment, you can throw in a couple of three-digit at the end and tell the kids that these will be hard, but let's see, and then you will get as a teacher, you'll get an idea about whether or not the kids can generalize the rule and prepare them for the next day's lesson. Is also, as kids get older, it's for integrating skills. When you go home and you're going to do a project like interview your mom or dad about what they do during the day, if they've got a job and how they do it, this is going to involve skills of communication, but they're also going to have to write it up, especially in the high school grades. The notion of using homework to help kids integrate skills is really important. And then at the younger grades, a very important part of what homework can do is help kids understand that what they're learning in school has applications to things they enjoy doing at home. So the most important thing you can do for a kid who's learning how to read is to go home. And I remember this as what was the very first thing, and you may not believe this, but this is true, okay? There, no answer has a majority. But one of the questions that I would ask audiences, what was the first thing you read because you wanted to know what it said? And if you can think about what your answer to that question would be, I know what my answer was, and it honestly is the one that I get most often, a cereal box. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. The back of a cereal box. Why not have a homework assignment at the appropriate level of reading skill where it is, what's your favorite cereal? And what does it say on the back of the box? Okay. Wow. And this is what they read because they care about what it says. For mathematics, it can use sports, your soccer team, a tennis, whatever. How do you figure out what your team's winning percentage is? What your batting average might be, depending on the sport, shots on goal and things like that, that help kids understand that the things they're learning in school have applications to things they enjoy doing at home. My son's high school teacher did not subscribe to your philosophy Uh because she was one of those teachers in math would give like 40 problems a night. And not only was that bad and very time consuming, she would randomly pick five of the problems and grade those five. It was torturous. Mm-hmm. And she cared about her time. So she protected her time to make sure she wasn't spending all of her time grading. Uh-huh. But she was one of the teachers that felt like 
her class was the most important class and therefore students should be spending the majority of their time on the class. And that happens often, that especially when you get into middle school and high school, every teacher thinks that their class is the most important. Here, let me dump a lot of work on you. One of the things you talk about, and I used to put in my philosophy was the 10 minute rule. Mm-hmm. And I probably got it from you and didn't even know it. What's the right balance? And talk more about the 10 minute rule. Well, the 10 minute rule is first, it's a rough guide because homework will vary by night and content and things like that. But what it suggests, and it's, and honestly, it's not my rule. I was giving a talk to a group of teachers many, many years ago, and I was talking to them about the research and what research says about when the amount of homework kids do, quote unquote, reaches asymptote, which is when it becomes most effective and more isn't any more effective, okay, when it's best. And some teacher looked at it and said, that sounds like the 10 minute rule when we looked at the curves. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. And in fact, it it begins with teachers' knowledge. The art and science of teaching has suggested to teachers for a long time that kids in first grade, you don't wanna give them much more than 10 minutes a night, the 20 minutes in the second grade, 30 minutes in the third grade, and so on. And in fact, what the evidence suggests is that when you look at what kids report, as the amount of homework they do every night and how well they're doing in school. When it gets to about the 10 minute rule, if you go up from there, the achievement doesn't go up. Kids aren't necessarily doing any better. So what the 10 minute rule says is take their grade, multiply it by 10, and that's roughly what kids should be doing. I say it's an anchor or a guide because it depends on the kind of homework assignment. If it's high interest reading, then you can go beyond that for a fifth grader. But if it's something like math problems, probably 40 problems for a seventh grader is not a really good idea every night. You should be able to get the same effect and understand how well a kid is doing with less time than that. I do want to make a point of clarification for that math teacher who teaches 11th grade. When you apply that 10 minute rule, you have to take that total time and say that student has six subjects and divide it by six. And then those are your minutes. You don't get the entire 110 minutes. You have to divide that by the number of courses they have. So I just wanted that math teacher to interpret that. If she's watching correctly. If he or she is watching. The other thing about that is when starting in middle school, when kids go to different classes with different teachers, with different subjects, the teachers really need to communicate with one another and figure that out amongst themselves. Quite often, or they might decide that, you know what, 10 minutes of math homework a night doesn't work for me. So what I would like to do is give math homework twice a week for 20 to 30 minutes, and then another subject can do twice a week for 20 to 30 minutes, and so on. And they say, okay, These are my weeks for science homework, for math homework, and so on. The other thing 
when it comes to 11th graders is some of them will be taking very rigorous academic courses. They might be taking honors classes. They might be taking advanced placement. And those classes will take more time on homework. And if you go to that teacher and say, hey, my kid's doing a half an hour of homework in AP algebra every night, the teacher may be able to go to their curriculum and say, you know what? This is the prescription I get. And you're going to be mad at me if your kid gets a two on the AP test instead of a four or a five. And this is what they say I'm told they need to do. So there are choices that parents and kids make at the upper grade levels that deal with the rigor of their academic courses that will influence how much homework they do. It's a choice that the family is making as well as the teacher. The teacher might tell you, I don't have much choice in what your homework assignments are going to be. You talk about how teachers might be able to communicate across departments, and it might be possible in many ways to coordinate a balance with homework across science, math, and English. Teachers need to communicate. Absolutely. What about the students? How might you recommend students work to create a balance? When you're saying balance here, you're not talking about balance between subjects, or are you talking about balance in their lives? I think more in their lives. We're, now we're getting into a bigger, lot bigger issue than homework, okay? So let's understand that to begin with. The balance is partly up to the family, and it deals with, am I going to take four AP classes, or learn how to play the violin? be a soccer star, volunteer in the community or through my church. And if I'm going to do all of those things, if I want my kid to do all of those things, well, either something is going to hurt or your child is not going to sleep. Okay. So you've got to make the decision. The number of hours in the day is always 24. And when you decide you're going to do that, how much of that you're going to do, you're going to be making choices with regard to what you prioritize. Now, I don't want to get down too far down this rabbit hole because we mm-hmm. could spend the next three days talking about it. What parents will tell you is that how do I get my kid into college? I want them to go to the best possible college for them. And in order to do that, folks are going to look not only at their academic record, They are going to look at the number of AP classes, how much rigor there was and how well they did in them. But they're also going to look at uh, what kind of community member they're going to be when they get here. And for many selective colleges, the standardized test scores, everybody's got 12 AP classes, everybody's got a a 6.5 GPA. So it really comes down to what kind of community member are they going to be when they get here. And that's when they'll look at those other things. And the parents are going out of their mind, trying to get their kid there. Exactly. So as a parent, as a teacher, I deal with those issues at home myself with a high schooler who hates homework, but loves football and waits. Uh We know colleges are going to look for that balanced student who has 
other types of activities going on besides just academics or just sports or just music. Now let's think about the teacher again. What responsibility is it for the teacher to ensure that there is space in a student's day to be balanced? Don't assign more homework than the students really need to get the idea. You don't have to do 40 math problems. The last 25 of those, unless there are issues with particular skills that different ones are using, but the last 25 of those are probably superfluous. Not only will they not help a student achieve better, but they may also, and this is not so true for an 11th grader who already knows exactly who they are and what they enjoy doing and what they don't enjoy doing. But imagine a fourth or a fifth grader who's just so bored with doing 40 math problems that by the time they're up to the 35th, the teacher should know that they're actually doing something that's detrimental. The kid says, I am bored with this. I don't like doing this anymore. I wish I was doing something else. Maybe I'm not as interested in math as I thought I was. Right. And those are terrible things for a kid to say to themselves. So one of the things that teachers have to do is make sure that they are not oversubscribing homework. And then the other one is, again, to talk with other teachers. Science teachers can't give 10 minutes of homework a night. Okay, they would say, I can't do that because my assignments require doing something in the kitchen, putting something in the soda and watching it bubble up, something like that. And that's going to take more than 10 minutes. So if they need a half an hour, well, maybe they only give two a week and they figure out with the other teachers which nights are mine and which nights are yours. So those are two things that the teachers can do. Another thing is to monitor the kids and see who is responding properly and who may not, who's completing the assignments and who isn't. And might it be because they're too long? Parents can go in and say, you know, 40 math problems a night is just too many for my student. They don't need it. And then a teacher can say, all right, well, how about if your child does every even number problem? I can still get my five for grading, and, you know, I'm looking at your kids' scores and they're getting A's. So maybe we can try this. And that should be fine for you. It gives me the information I need. It gives you the practice you need. Right. Which is the purpose. Your research suggests, you know, when implemented well, the students who have homework perform better in school compared to those who don't. So if we establish these parameters and we understand the value of homework, how should teachers communicate homework to parents and students? The why, the philosophy? Well, they should start out with a philosophy like your students. And when they meet the parents for the first time, lots of teachers communicate with parents now through emails. So they can send it home. They can send home a printed copy on the first day of school. They can send an email with their philosophy. And lots of teachers nowadays also will let parents know they'll have a weekly newsletter. And in the newsletter, it can have a homework section. And it can say, next week, your child will bring home homework 
that in these areas that's meant to do these things. I'll give you another example, taken from my own experience with my daughter. She read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first time. I think it was the fourth grade. And then she goes off to middle school and she reads it again in the eighth grade. Well, the steam started coming out of my ears. This is what everybody says about the middle school curriculum. It's awful. It doesn't work. It's not meeting our kids' needs. But instead of first calling the eighth grade teacher, I called Emily's fourth grade teacher. And I said, hey, she's reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe again. She said she's reading it again, but she's reading it for a very different reason. It's a story she knows, she loves, but it's also an allegory. So in the eighth grade, she can be learning about allegories and read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for the second time in school. I have no complaint about that. That's marvelous. But the teacher didn't tell me. The eighth grade teacher, I didn't know it. So my first reaction was, here it is again, middle school curriculum that's not meeting my kids' needs. But in fact, it was. And the teacher didn't communicate to us that we're learning about allegories now. Your kid's going to read one of their favorite stories, and they never will have realized what it represented, how it was allegorical about something else. That's an example of why communicating with parents about what the intent of your assignments is, as if you're a teacher, can make you look really good rather than maybe not so good. It can also eliminate a lot of bad communication from the parents later. Mm -hmm. The percentage of time that teachers are doing something wrong relative to when they're doing something right is much smaller than what you would see in that teacher's email inbox in terms of the number of thank yous and the number of complaints. And you can even that out in a lot of ways through advanced communication letting parents know what you're doing and why you're doing it, what your expectations are. And I think the same is true for students. How many times have we heard students say, why are we learning this? Mm-hmm. Or why are we doing this? Right. We yep. are speaking to Dr. Harris Cooper and having a great conversation about homework, the plus, the minus, and everything in between. What about parents? Parent involvement, it diminishes as kids get older. In kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you need to be there. You need to hover. You need to manage. You need to watch. You need to be ready to answer questions. You need to be excited. Show how excited you are about school and about homework and things like that. Use it as an opportunity to communicate how important education is. As your child gets older, you're going to back out. So maybe what you say to your kid is, hey, you know, I'm an English teacher. So if you have an issue or you're curious about something more, I'm here to answer your questions. If you want me to look over what you've done after you're done doing it, and then you'll have a good idea of where your child is, 
I am more than happy to do that. But by 15, remember, uh, in three years, you're going to be waving goodbye and they're going to be going to college and mom's not going to be there to help them with their English assignment. So make sure that you think of it also as preparing them to be lifelong learners, to be learners when you're not there. Homework really helps with responsibility, doesn't it? Right. It, it absolutely. It builds. Yeah, what teacher wants to grade how much the parent knows? We want to see what the students know and what they don't know. I'm a big Simpsons fan, and I remember the Simpsons episode where Bart comes back with his homework assignment and he gets a C minus. And Homer says, A C minus? How did I only get a C minus on that assignment? It's not your assignment. It's your kid's assignment. And you can be there for help and guidance and things like that, but don't answer the questions for them. One of the things that proponents of homework talk about is building character. And it's not just responsibility. It's time management. When am I going to do it? How am I going to fit it in? If I wait until to do my homework until right before I go to sleep, There's going to be at least one time a week when I'm going to say, oh, my goodness, there's more here than I thought. It's taking me longer. And they're going to lose sleep. My daughter, Emily, again, would come home and she would spread out her books and she would talk on the phone and go back. And she would essentially be doing her homework almost all evening. My son uh, would come home go into his room, sit, complete all of his assignments as quickly as he could. So then he could get together with his friends and play video games and things like that. So they had very different learning styles. You have to think about what your kid's learning style is, how it fits into their lives, where they're comfortable. Some kids need to sit at a desk. Some kids need to be in a beanbag chair when they Uh do Some kids need breaks and others don't. It's a good way for them to learn how they learn and find the discipline to get it done in a way that makes it least torturous to them. For my daughter to be told, no, you can't turn on, no, you can't talk to, uh, you got to do your homework first. She would have been very unhappy. But that was exactly the way my son wanted to do it. As a parent, you've got to think about those kinds of things as well. One other thing that made me think about it, I want to make sure I get to say it. Sometimes the amount of time that a student says it takes them to do their homework and the amount of time that parents think they spend doing their homework can be very different. Uh Typically, parents think it takes longer than the kids will tell you it took. And one of the reasons is, is because if they're doing it on their computer, they get a message and they get something else. So they switch over and they do it. So mom sees you're sitting down at four o'clock to do it. Six o'clock, it's time for dinner or whatever. Have you eaten anything? No, I'm still doing my homework. Two hours of homework, that's too much. They haven't spent two hours at their homework. They've spent two hours finishing their homework, but they've taken multiple breaks Within those two hours, it's not a problem with the assignment. It might not be a problem at all. If your kid is doing well in school and they're getting their assignments done, you're not hearing from the teacher, let them do it the way they want. I know what I can do traveling 
when I get on an airplane and what I have to be sitting in front of my computer to do. If I'm writing, I need two to three hour block of time, quiet, sitting at my desk. If I am reading a journal article, I can do that easily in an airport and on an airplane. So what I've learned and what kids can learn through homework is what do my circumstances, the context need to be for me to do different kinds of assignments and work activities. Most people are gonna change jobs and learn skills all their lives. They're gonna take classes, they're gonna get certified for this, they're gonna do a master's degree while they're teaching. We all need to know how to be lifelong learners. And one of the things homework can do is help us understand where, how, and when we learn what best. You know, we're having this conversation about homework, which I am just giddy about this topic in the first place Me too. and talking to you, but it feels like family counseling also because homework does have a huge impact on the family. You wrote some homework tips for kids. You've written so many wonderful things. Can you please share some of the tips with our audience? There are things like try and do your homework the same time every day, find a routine. Don't do homework right before you go to bed. If you wanna have a snack, get it ready before you sit down and do your homework so you don't get distracted. Those are good tips for all of us. Yeah, you're right. It's, it seems like it's pretty much common sense, doesn't it? But how often do we actually do it? How often do kids do it? Right. But you're spot on is pick a good time to do homework. That's one of the things that I, and I tell teachers to tell parents, you know, uh -huh. to help with this, select a good time for homework. Remember to make time for long projects. This is planning. This gets into communication with the family again. Spend more time on hard homework and on easy homework. Maybe That's get that right. out of the way first, right? Like yeah, Get food. the easy things done yeah. first and then go first. Uh -huh. If homework gets too hard, ask for help. That's really important. And it, I think it's really important that teachers give students resources and how they can get help. Let's go back to those long-term assignments. Mm -hmm. Teachers have a responsibility there too, especially for as kids get younger to break up a long-term assignment into smaller related assignments. Not only can the teacher monitor how well the student is doing as they go through the parts of the assignment, but students learn here are the stages of writing a research paper. Are you gonna search for websites? Are you gonna go to the library? In science, are you gonna look for published research? And that's something you do before you sit down to write. You might start out with, I have a hypothesis and I looked at the literature and this is what it said. And then this, so that can be a long-term assignment. If a teacher says, I want you to write a scientific paper and hand it in in two weeks on the topic of your choice, that's not teaching. Right. right. And, and you know, you also have this equity issue. And I always tell teachers to think about the students that are teaching and the resources that they may have available to them. You may be talking to a population that needs to go to the library. 
Absolutely. or that you may need to reserve the library at school for them to complete components if they don't have Wi-Fi at home. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've all seen the stories of parents who drive their kids to the, the supermarket parking lot or the school parking lot or the library parking lot, especially in rural areas, because they don't have Wi-Fi at home and they have to sit and do their homework in the car because it's been assigned online. Right, absolutely. We're doing our damnedest like we did with electricity. It's not the first time in American history that inequities on resources have been discovered, but electricity is a perfect example. Rural electrification. Electricity comes to large urban areas first, and then it works its way out. Mm -hmm. Same thing is happening with computers now. If you are assigning homework online, Think about the resources that are available to your students. If you're asking for parents to help, think about what your parents do. Think about how many siblings those kids have. Imagine a family of five with two working parents and all five of them come home and say, mom, I need your help with my homework assignment tonight. Mom's going to have steam coming out of her ears. Or she's going to pick up the phone and complain to the teachers. Right. And, and mom may be the single parent. That's and right. those five kids, as in your fifth point, find a place that makes that make studying easy. It may mm-hmm. be difficult when you have five siblings. For our college students, we heard that a lot, especially during the pandemic, that I have children and they're trying to do their homework and I'm trying to do my homework. And it's difficult. So I think As teachers, we need to take all of those things, the whole student, Mm -hmm. into consideration when we're thinking about how much and when and what types of assignments. I once gave a talk at a high school uh, that served a lower middle class community. And what they said is, oh, yeah, we can assign homework, but the kids won't do it. And the parents won't make them do it. And I said, well, why is that the case? He said, well, because my kid has a car. And I told him he can have a car, but he's got to pay for the gas. So he has a job after school. So if he wants to have his car, he's got to have a job after school. And frankly, I don't care if he does his homework or not. I don't think it helps enough. I think as they said, 80% of their kids had other family obligations after school or work obligations after school in this particular community and said, well, we can, sometimes we do do homework, but we don't get much support from the parents and we can't counter argue. This is their lifestyle. So. But this goes back to that communication, stating the purpose and having a real purpose for the homework that's assigned and making it related to the students' lives. Absolutely. We have had such a great conversation I don't know that there's a magic wand we can wave or any magic words we can say about the perfect amount of homework, but the kinds of issues we've brought up today about equity, about balance, about school life, home, after school activities, about relationships and communication are valuable. Absolutely. If our listeners can take anything away from today's conversation, it's those things. And what I would say is everything in moderation. And all kids should be doing homework, 
but the amount and type that they're doing should vary as a function of their developmental level. Thank you so much for being with us today. It has been a pleasure. It's really been a pleasure. It's just funny that homework makes me giddy and this has been one of my favorite topics and you have been wonderful. You are the first person I've ever heard say homework makes me giddy. I hope I can quote you on that. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. <laughs>